Eric, one of the pastors here, and I actually kind of like it sometimes when there's technical difficulties, because um, like we say all the time, we're a battleship, not a cruise ship, and so uh, it gives us an opportunity to, to center a little bit. You know, a lot of times we can become about, you know, in church, we can become about the program, um, but really our goal is to meet with God. Our goal isn't to do a, something up here that you enjoy, although... We hope you enjoy it. The goal is that we go to God together, that we meet with God together. So um, this is just one of those opportunities a little bit for us to go to God, not about whatever else is happening. Um, Question as we start, if there was a a spiritual health meter, you know, one to ten, where would you put yourself on it? You know, seven, eight, zero, you know, where would you be on that health meter and what would... What would be your gauge of how you would be that way? I think this is, so you're wondering why there's a tomato plant up here. It's dying. dying. This one is, because this one's no good. Um, (laughs) We have fruit, right? Um, And if we're going to measure our life and say, how are we spiritually? I think fruit is one of those good measures. If you have been trying to grow tomatoes this year, maybe you've experienced what a lot of people have. They're doing this. It's, It's a really weird year. If you're not growing them, you probably don't have any idea. But for some reason, there's a lot of tomato plants that are growing and getting little flowers and looking okay. And then no fruit. It's kind of weird. And and it's kind of frustrating for those of us who want to make salsa and other things like that. A tomato plant is supposed to do this. It's supposed to produce fruit. And luckily, these two little red ones are still on here. Um, Driving up here, Kayla's like, ooh, you took some good tomatoes. And several other people have already looked at those going, ooh. So at the end, whoever gets there first, I guess, can have those. But spiritually now, does God maybe look at us some, you know, like our frustration with this tomato plant? Man, I've given you everything, nutrients, my word, my spirit, a, a church. I've given you all this stuff, and then I'm not seeing a whole lot of fruit. Or do we have fruit in our lives? And a good measure of fruit we see in Galatians is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But I want to focus on the first three. Love, joy, peace. Do you have those in your life? Do you have love for people? A love for God? Do you have joy despite circumstances? Do you have peace despite circumstances, and we are in a really good time to test this. You know, with all the stuff that goes on with government and all that, are you anxious and worried and angry and all those things? That's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, despite circumstances, is love, joy, and peace. And so we want to look at the first call of some of Jesus' disciples in the book of Matthew today. And we're going to look at, in his call, two things really that will help us in our spiritual walk to be spiritually healthy and to produce this fruit. And we're going to see something that if you maybe lack the love, joy, and peace, there's something else you might be lacking, and that's why. And I would say it's the mission of the church. The reason we really exist. We we exist to know God and to love God, absolutely. We exist to worship. We're going to do that for eternity. But God has left us here on this earth to do something specifically. And if we're not doing that, I think, rightly so, we're going to lack some of the fruit of love, joy, and peace in our lives. So turn to Matthew 4. Uh, If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you, and it's page 897 in your Bible. Hey, the screen's working now. Maybe not this one. (laughs) Page 897. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament written by Matthew, one of the synoptic gospels. And we're going to look in Matthew 4, 
starting in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. This is kind of a, an interesting scene. I remember reading this growing up and, and thinking, how did, they're, they're out there fishing, and Jesus comes walking by, and he's like, hey, you guys, follow me. And they're like, all right. It, you know, almost like they've never met before. <laughs> and they just see a dad, you know, and run off, chase him. Actually, they had known Jesus for about a year at this point. You see in the Gospel of John some of the, the history. So they had spent a year getting to know him, but they were still doing their job. They were still fishing. And so Jesus comes along. They know him. They already have an idea, we see this in John, that he's the Messiah. And so when he says, follow me, they drop their nets and they follow. Now, I have heard people say that this, this calling that Jesus gives to them has nothing to do with us. That they were special, they were unique, and so we can't really apply this to us. And I would disagree with that. The, the apostles, there were 12 of them, they had a unique call from God. And these four, they had a unique call. They were apostles. They could uh, write scripture. Nobody can write scripture any, anymore. Nobody can have a prophecy right now that disagrees with scripture and say this is from God. But they, in their day, they could speak for God after Jesus rose from the dead uh, and sent the Holy Spirit. So they were unique, and they had a unique call to leave their jobs and to go into full-time ministry. And some of us have those calls. But the call to follow is the same for all of us. In fact, this whole call, I think, is the same for all of us. Look at verse 19. What's he say? He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We're going to focus on that today. The two defining characteristics of a spiritually healthy person. So depending on where you were on that, that meter, where you would rate yourself, do you feel like you're this kind of fruitless plant? Uh, maybe you're lacking love, joy, and peace. Or maybe you're fruitful. Let's look at two aspects of that life. Here's the first one. A wise and spiritually healthy person will follow Jesus. Sounds simple, right? Does your uh, Bible have a heading right before that? Mine does. In fact, most of the ones I looked at. It says, Jesus calls his first disciples. Jesus calls his first disciples. What is a disciple? Uh, we don't really use that word anymore, or if we do, it feels a little bit weird. But a disciple in that day and age was somebody who would follow a teacher. They would pattern their life after that teacher, learning from them and becoming like them. And so a disciple was a follower. And that's what Jesus' call was, follow me. So this is in your notes if you're a note taker. A disciple is someone who believes in Jesus and then follows Jesus, allowing him to guide all aspects of their life. This is kind of a big deal. I grew up, and, and during the time that I was growing up in the church, there was kind of this, this theme that was there all the time of you can believe in Jesus and be saved, but you don't really need to follow him. And so you would, we would hear this all the time. Oh, we can trust that that person's going to heaven, that they're saved, because when they were six, they prayed the prayer. It's like, ooh, Scripture doesn't really describe following Jesus that way. Jesus didn't go like, hey, guys, will you, will you associate yourself with me? And so just keep doing, no, keep fishing. But when somebody asks, will you tell them you're a Christian? Okay, see you, you know, carry on. 
But that's kind of the way we, we, we have it now in the American church is, oh, I'm a Christian, but you look nothing like Christ. A Christian, that, that name Christian actually began in Antioch, you see it in the book of Acts, and it was derogatory. They were called Christians because they looked like Christ. They talked like Christ. They were acting like Christ. And so for us, are we acting like Christ? Are we actually following? When I was in high school, the way it was said was, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a Jesus freak. You know, and I've quoted that before. I don't remember the, the band that came out. They were rappers, and they came out, you know, I'm a Jesus freak. It's like, yeah, we're supposed to be Jesus freaks. We're supposed to actually follow, which means we're going to look really different. What did they do to Jesus? They killed him. I mean, think about that. The Jews hated him. The, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were two leaders in the Jewish community, and they were very different. They believed very different things. They were often against each other. They united to get Jesus. Rome and the Jewish people were often against each other. They uni- All these groups united to kill the guy because he was different. We are supposed to look like Christ. That's what it means to follow. This is why I often don't use the word Christian or the title Christian. I like saying Jesus follower because there's a lot of people that I'm a Christian because I went to church a couple times or I'm a Christian because I'm American or my parents were Christians. Are we Jesus followers? Question, how does that relationship of following Jesus begin? Look back at our passage, but go one verse before, Matthew 4, 17. Matthew 4, 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was Jesus' first message. And when he will send his disciples out later, two by two, he will tell them, here's your, your message is repent. That was the initial message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? The kingdom of God. Imagine, you know, we don't really have kingdoms kind of like that, but imagine you're in your kingdom and another king is coming with an army and it says the kingdom of God is, so this kingdom is at hand, they're coming. What are you going to do? Well, are we strong enough to fight that king or we better figure out how to make peace with that king and submit to that king? Luckily for us, the king is a loving, gracious, good God who sent his son to die for us. And so repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning repent, meaning turn. This has to do with sin. And again, sin is one of those things, oh, we don't want to talk about sin. The Bible is very clear. Sin is what messed up this whole world. Sin is what separates people from God. We are born in sin because our parents sin. So parents, it's your fault. But it goes all the way back to our four parents, you know, Adam and Eve. Sin has broken it. So Jesus came, died on the cross to break sin's hold on us. To fall in love with Jesus means we first repent. We turn from sin. We follow him. Does that mean we become perfect? No. (laughs) No, it means we enter this struggle with sin, but we repent. We turn and we say, I agree with you, God, that sin is sin, and I'm going to go your way. This is one of the troubles I have with people who will claim to be a Christian, but they'll disagree with what the Bible says about sin. That's not repentance. Repentance doesn't mean you don't struggle with sin, but it means you agree with God that sin is sin, And at your heart level, you want to follow him, but you're probably going to stumble along the way because you're like the rest of us. But sin is sin. Repenting means we turn to follow him. And so if you're here and you have never followed Jesus as Lord, that's where it begins, by repenting, turning from your ways and turn toward Jesus. A relationship with God 
through Jesus begins with repentance. Repentance. But I, I want to I give you a warning label. If you're here and you haven't said yes to Jesus, before you do, here's kind of the warning on the label. Life is going to get better in many ways. And I'm talking at the root level, love, joy, peace. But it's going to get harder in some other ways. Jesus' call isn't to just, again, associate with me, but keep doing what you're doing. Jesus' call is to follow with all that we are. In Matthew, this will be on the screen, you don't have to turn there. Matthew 16, 24 to 25, Jesus says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is not talking about just martyrdom. What do you know if you saw somebody in that day and age carrying their cross? You knew they were going to die that day. Later, Jesus would, I mean, Jesus taught this, and then later he would carry his cross and die. But this means a living death to self and alive to God. That's what it means to take up our cross daily and follow, which means there's going to be times in your life you want to do some things, and you'll realize God doesn't want you to do those things. Or there's some things God wants you to do, and you don't really want to do those. We could probably get a show of hands, and we would all raise our hands. Yeah, we have those experiences. But taking up our cross means it's, it can be difficult at times. But here's the good news. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, when Jesus gives his call, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those two things don't sound like they combine, do they? Take up your cross and die for me every day. Don't worry, it's easy. It's kind of hard, but once you fall in love with Jesus, you start following, it does make sense. It's harder, but following him, his yoke is better than the yoke of the world. He takes our sin, and then he goes with us. It's not a, I died for you, I rose from the dead, now believe in me, and then good luck. It's, I'm going with you. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to indwell you. And yeah, you're going to take on some different responsibilities, but it's going to be in love, joy, and peace. And so yes, it'll be hard, but it's also the best. And let me just get really clear. The Bible's clear. Jesus is the only way. So it's not like we can look at it and go, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm going to find another way. There is no other way. Scripture is very clear. There's one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If we want a relationship with the one and only God, if we want to go to the one and only heaven, this is the way to follow Jesus as Lord. So here's the question. Have you repented? And are you following Jesus as the Lord of your life? Not meaning you're perfect, right? We're not going to look at your fruit and be like, oh, I'm not sure. At your heart level is Jesus Lord. So it begins with repentance, but then the relationship continues with abiding. So our mission is on the wall over here, and it's just our way of restating the Great Commission. But it's connecting people to the abundant life, which we just read about, only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. How do these fruits bear fruit? They cling to the vine. It's the same with God. Do we want this fruit in our life? Again, he didn't save us and then say, good luck. He saved us and then says, now cling closely to me. Walk in tight relationship with me. Abide, live with, dwell with all the time. Then he produces the fruit in our lives. And so we continue this relationship by clinging to him. Or in Galatians, it's said, walk in the spirit. 
And that's where we get this list of the fruits of the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, He will produce these things. But there's one more thing. Because often, the church, in my experience, has stopped here. Or Christians stop here. I have my quiet time in the morning. I read my Bible. I go to church. I do these things. But there's one more piece of this call that often we miss. Look back at Matthew 4, 19. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and this is going to happen in your life because I'm going to do it in you and through you. Fishers of men. These were fishermen, and the way they would fish is they would take their boat out, and they would have a net, and they would wait down the four corners, and they would throw it out, and as it sunk, it would catch the fish, and then they would scoop it and pull it up and have a bunch of fish, ideally. Picture that with people. That's what he's saying. That's the picture he's giving to these. Follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. So I have just this picture of the net coming out, and there's like legs sticking out and arms sticking out. And, and it's people. And that's exactly what he called them to. It's exactly what he called us to, to go out there and to throw this net and drag them in. I mean, that sounds a little bit aggressive. But with grace and with love, our call is to follow Jesus, and he will make us fishers of men and women and children that he wants to grab them and save them and bring them into this loving relationship with him. He is the only way. This is one of those things, you've probably heard this all the time. I'm a Christian, but I don't want to share my faith. I'm not going to push my beliefs on somebody. Well, if you believe there's a heaven and a hell, you should probably push your beliefs on somebody. If Jesus is the only way, you should probably tell them, right? If somebody was dying of cancer and you had a pill that would cure it, wouldn't you like sneak it into their coffee or something? Um, now, again, Scripture's clear that the way we share is with grace and with love and with gentleness. And we know that God does the real work. The Holy Spirit does the real work of changing hearts. And so we're just a tool. Some of us are more blunt than others, but we're just tools. But God works through his people, not around them. And so we, God will make us fishers of men. Here's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus said, this is after he died and rose from the dead. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. This is why the church still exists on earth, to make disciples. The privilege of every Jesus follower is to make disciples. Our relationship with God is very personal, but it's not private. It's not one of those things we keep to ourselves. And I, I've heard this, you know, uh, witness always and when necessary use words. It's kind of a cop out. <laughs> like I'm going to live a good life, but I'm not going to tell anybody why. Scripture's really clear. For people to believe, they have to hear the truth of the gospel, not generically, the truth that Jesus, God's Son, came to earth, took on flesh, died on the cross for you. This actually happened about 2,000 years ago. This isn't just some spiritual thing. He died, and he rose from the dead bodily, not just spiritually. Uh, we're going to be talking about heaven next month. It's going to be awesome. But Jesus rose from the dead just like we will someday, bodily. His body wasn't in the tomb anymore. This is the message. And you, by faith, if you place your faith in Jesus as Lord, you can be saved. The Holy Spirit will indwell you, and then you enter this street fight with sin for the rest of your life, 
but you can have some victory because of the Holy Spirit power. And then someday Jesus is going to come back. We're going to have glorified bodies. We're going to be with him forever in heaven. It's going to be awesome. That's the message. That's the only message, the only truth. And this is what we share. And it is our privilege to make disciples. Now, remember, what is a disciple? A follower. We don't make converts. We make followers. This is one of those things that missions work through history has done sometimes wonderfully and sometimes poorly. Uh, there was, through Europe, Eastern Europe, especially Russia, there was a time where people swept through, missionaries swept through, and a lot of people were saved, and then they just moved on. They didn't teach them, you know, the Great Commission, teach them to observe. They didn't teach them the Bible. They didn't teach them. They just moved on. Then the Mormons came in after them, and bad things happened. We are not called to just make converts. We're called to make disciples, followers. Every disciple is supposed to be a disciple maker. Every disciple is supposed to be a disciple maker, meaning you are, are on this you know, battle, right, to follow Jesus, and at the same time, you're trying to grab other people to go with you and help them along the way. If you're a parent, you're doing this with your kids. You're trying to help them learn how to follow Jesus because not only is it the only way to life, it's the best way to life. And so we're helping people follow. We're making disciples. This is why we prioritize groups so much here. We are not interested in just church growth. We really aren't. We're not interested in, in filling a big room. We're interested in people falling in love with Jesus and changing. We're interested in the Holy Spirit coming and filling you with love, joy, and peace. That's what we want. We don't want just to be a cool church. We want lives to change. And when our lives change, then we help others change as well. You know, you see our mission over here, fueling a movement. I mean, I love that word, fueling. That's what we're trying to do, fuel a movement of God's people surrendered to his mission wherever he places us. That's why on the wall out here, where do you live, work, and play? That's where God already has put you. This really, as we look at making disciples, we think, oh, this is something else the church wants to add to my schedule. In general, no. This, we do this as we live. Where are you already living, already working, already playing? Those are the places God probably already has people in your life. He wants you to share him with them and help them learn to follow. This is why we are here. This is why we exist. Now, you know, Jesus, when he made disciples, how did he do it? Well, he did life with them. You know, he told these disciples, stop fishing, follow me, and they would live together for three years. Our culture is a little bit different. We have cars, airplanes. You know, we can get in our car, pull out of our driveway, go to work. Or, or nowadays, we don't even have to leave, right? With COVID, we just go into the other room, turn on the computer, and there we are. We can never even leave the house. So for us, I think it does take a little bit more intentionality to make relationships with people, to do life with people, to make disciples, which means at some point it does get onto our calendar. So there's th that meter that I referred to. Are you healthy? How spiritually healthy are you? Do you have the fruit in your life of love, joy, and peace? And if not, maybe it's because you haven't yet taken that step to be a disciple maker, which all of us are called to make disciples. And once you start pouring your life out for others, and it doesn't mean you become a professional pastor, missionary, whatever. We're all ministers, right? We're all professional Christians. Once you start pouring your life out, that he produces things in you. It's kind of miraculous. It's almost like God at work. Where you want these things and you're so focused on yourself, you're not getting those things. 
Then you stop looking at yourself and you start helping others and all of a sudden he produces those things in, in you that you wanted anyway. This is God's plan. And this is the primary mission of the church, to make disciples. You know, and although this is our mission all the time, this month we're kind of focusing on it. This month we're talking about what might God want to do through us. Do you realize our community is roughly 5% believers? I mean, give or take. Roughly 5% believers. If the numbers coming out of China are accurate, and you can debate that, China has more believers percentage-wise than northern Nevada. Communist China. That's a little bit spooky. We are in a spiritual desert in northern Nevada. But guess what? I think God wants to do big things. This morning, after I, I went through my sermon and prayed through it, I started thinking, what would happen if we, the people that God already has put here in Common Ground, and we don't think we're the best church in town or the only church. There's other churches doing great things, and we want God to move through them. But we're not responsible for what God is doing there, but we are here. So here, what if all of us, God used us to disciple one person this year? One. Next year, this time, we would have 500 people. 500 people following Jesus. What if we all did one that year? The next year, there would be 1,000 people. And again, this is just us, and we don't think we're it, right? God's kingdom is all of his churches, and God's working through all of them. So I did the math thinking about Elise. Elise is in seventh grade, right? Good. Elise is our daughter in seventh grade. And I thought, okay, what if we did this until she graduated? And she's going to graduate in, well, do the five years? 2027. If we did this till 2027, in our community, and I'm talking this whole area, we would have 20% of people following Jesus as Lord. We would go from 5% to 20% if we only did this until my seventh grader graduated. Again, it's not like it's up to us to make this happen. But it is up to us to be faithful. What if God wants to do that? Right? We stress over who's going to be elected in 2024. You know, we, we think about all that stuff. Here's what's going to change the community. More people falling in love with Jesus. 20%, if 20% of our community was following Jesus, things would look different. Things would be different. We would have fewer abortions. Maybe some of these industries that thrive around here wouldn't anymore. That's how we change our culture, by changing one life at a time, people falling in love with Jesus. We're going to go back to worship now. Well, this is all worship, but we're going to go back to sing. And as we do, we're going to take communion. Taking communion is our time to remember Jesus' death and resurrection that gives us life. And we are free. Again, this love and joy and peace that he fills us is all because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. It's not because we're special. It's not because we're smarter. It's not because we work hard. It's him producing that in us. And so this is a celebration meal. And this is cool. Jesus said, do this until I come back. And when I come back, we're going to eat it together. So in the end, there's going to be this big feast and Jesus is going to be there and we're going to have bread and wine and, you know, it's going to be cool. And we're looking forward to that as we take the bread and the cup. If you're not a believer, if you have not repented and turned to Jesus, come talk to me. I'm going to be right up here. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. If you're ready to give your life to him, then you can take communion for the first time as a believer. For the rest of us, take a minute and pray. Take a minute, ask God to show you, is there anything you want to do in my life? Is there anywhere I'm not submitted to you? Is there anywhere I'm still going my own way and not following you? And ask him to, to adjust you. Maybe you need to repent of something. By the way, repentance isn't a one-time thing. 
It's an over and over. Yeah, I see some heads. Yeah, you've experienced it. If you've tried to follow Jesus as Lord, you've realized, oh, I messed up again. Repentance is kind of a continual, I agree with you, God, I'm sorry, and I'm following. Do that now, and then take the Lord's Supper, and let's celebrate as we sing. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. God, I look at these plants here, and I thank you so much that you produce the fruit. God, it can become really stressful when we think it's about us, or it's up to us. And and even kind of doing those numbers, we could feel the pressure, oh, it's up to us, you know, to save thousands of people. And it's it's not. It's up to you. But you, and I believe you want to do great things, you work through us. And so God, for us, we are free to just be faithful and follow. God, I'm excited for what you're doing. Not just in this church, but in other churches. You're doing something. And God, I look forward to you doing more. Use us. God, I pray that we in here would repent if we need to, that we would follow you as Lord. You were the only way. And God, you would show us who you want us to disciple. God, I know sometimes we think we need to be real smart. You know, we need to be super biblically literate before we help somebody else. But really, that's not the case. In scripture, we see very clearly people who meet you for the first time run off and grab somebody else without knowing very much. God, show us how we can make more disciples and help others experience this abundant life That is only possible through an abiding relationship with you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.